What is going on, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the series Transparently Trans. This episode is episode number seven, all about hormone replacement therapy, or HRT for short. This episode is actually going to be the first video in a set of three that are going to be talking about hormone replacement therapy. I'm splitting this up into three separate videos because I don't wanna make this episode way too long. I'd rather just keep it simple and break it up into parts that are easier to digest. This first episode is going to be about hormone replacement therapy in general. It's gonna be the basics of what it is, what it even means, what it looks like, some effects, some side effects, things like that, just in a real general sense. And then the last two videos are going to be about hormone replacement therapy for female to male FTM individuals specifically. I'm not going to be covering MTF hormone replacement therapy for the simple fact that I am not male to female and I don't know anyone that is. I'm not friends with someone who is and I just don't feel like I am able to speak on it as well not having that kind of knowledge. I could do my own research on it and give you guys that kind of a sense of it but I figured if you were really curious you could do your own research, find out more about that I just don't feel like I'm the one to be speaking on that. So the last two videos are going to be about FTM, hormone replacement therapy, and the same type deal, what it means, side effects of it, what it does to you, everything that covers the scope of female to male hormone replacement therapy. So without further ado, let's get into this first episode all about hormone replacement therapy and transgender HRT. Transgender hormone therapy, also sometimes called cross-sex hormone therapy, is a form of hormone replacement therapy, or HRT, in which sex hormones and other hormonal medications are administered to transgender or gender non-conforming individuals for the purpose of more closely aligning their secondary sexual characteristics with their gender identity. This form of HRT is given as one of two types, based on whether the goal of treatment is feminization or masculinization. Feminizing hormone therapy for transgender women or transfeminine people consists of estrogens and anti-androgens. Masculinizing hormone therapy for transgender men or transmasculine people consists of androgens. Some intersex people may also undergo HRT, either starting in childhood to confirm the sex they were assigned at birth or later in order to align their sex with their gender identity. Non-binary or genderqueer people may also undergo HRT in order to achieve a desired balance of sex hormones. Requirements. The formal requirements for hormone replacement therapy vary widely. The standards of care for the health of transsexual, transgender, and gender non-conforming people, SOC, require that the patient be referred by a mental health professional who has diagnosed the patient with persistent gender dysphoria. The standards also require that the patient give informed consent, in other words, that they consent to the treatment after being fully informed of the risk involved. Some LGBT health organizations, notably Chicago's Howard Brown Health Center, advocate for an informed consent model where the patient must only prove that they understand the risk and consent to the procedure in order to access hormone therapy. 
Some individuals choose to self-administer their medication or do it yourself because they do not have access to adequate medical care. Either the available doctors do not have the necessary experience or the patient cannot afford care since transition-related procedures are prohibitively expensive and rarely covered by health insurance. However, self-administration of hormones is potentially dangerous. Individuals seeking physicians who are knowledgeable and willing to treat transgender patients may wish to consult transgender support groups or a directory of LGBT-friendly doctors. A quick side note, I actually did have to have a referral from a mental health physician in order to start treatment. And I also, of course, had to fill out an informed consent. I was made aware of all the risk involved and all the side effects involved by both the mental health physician and by the doctor before starting. And honestly, I'm glad to say that I had to do both. I feel like it is basically the best case scenario and I feel like it's just safe to know what you're getting into. Safety. Hormone therapy for transgender individuals has been shown in medical literature to be safe when supervised by a qualified medical professional. A study due to be presented at Indo 2019, the Endocrine Society's conference, reportedly shows that even after one year of treatment with the hormone testosterone, a transgender man can preserve his fertility potential. Eligibility. Eligibility is determined using a major diagnostic tool such as ICD-10 or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders or DSM. ICD-10. The ICD-10 system requires that patients have a diagnosis of either transsexualism or gender identity disorder of childhood. The criteria for transsexualism include a desire to live and be accepted as a member of the opposite sex, usually accompanied by a sense of discomfort with or inappropriateness of one's anatomic sex, a wish to have surgery and hormonal treatment to make one's body as congruent as possible with one's preferred sex. Individuals cannot be diagnosed with transsexualism if their symptoms are believed to be a result of another mental disorder or of a genetic or chromosomal abnormality. For a child to be diagnosed with gender identity disorder of childhood under ICD-10 criteria, they must be prepubescent and have intense and persistent distress about being the opposite sex. The distress must be present for at least six months. The child must either have a preoccupation with stereotypical activities of the opposite sex, as shown by cross-dressing, simulating attire of the opposite sex, or an intense desire to join in the games and pastimes of the opposite sex and reject stereotypical games and pastimes of the same sex or have persistent denial relating to their anatomy. This can be shown through a belief that they will grow up to be the opposite sex, that their genitals are disgusting or will disappear, or that it would be better not to have their genitals. DSM. The DSM-5 states that at least two of the following criteria must be experienced for at least six months duration for a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. A strong desire to be of a gender other than one's assigned gender. A strong desire to be treated as a gender other than one's assigned gender. A significant incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and one's sexual characteristics. A strong desire for the sexual characteristics of a gender other than one's assigned gender, 
a strong desire to be rid of one's sexual characteristics due to incongruence with one's experience or expressed gender, or a strong conviction that one has the typical reactions and feelings of a gender other than one's assigned gender. In addition, the condition must be associated with clinically significant distress or impairment. I personally am totally in line with all of this criteria. I was given a sort of questionnaire before being approved by my mental health physician to start hormone replacement therapy. She asked me a long series of questions uh, relating to how I felt about my own gender identity, uh, current and in the past. Uh, I had a lot of questions asked of me about my childhood, how I felt about my gender and about my genitals and things of that nature. And although I can't say that I feel that I was always transgender, even as a child, I do definitely see it manifesting sometimes in the behavior that I had as a child. And I, I think I just didn't know what it was back then. And that is super common with transgender people because they just simply don't know and sometimes we can attribute it to other things or our environment but it's really great to be asked this kind of series of questions now especially as an adult or being of an age of consent and then coming to terms with that and actually being diagnosed with gender dysphoria and actually having a name to put on it and having a treatment available to kind of maybe not fix your situation, but to definitely alleviate a lot of your dysphoria and to just help you live more comfortably um, in the body that you're in. Readiness. Some organizations, but fewer than in the past, require that patients spend a certain period of time living in their desired gender role before starting hormone therapy. This period is sometimes called Real Life Experience, or RLE. The Endocrine Society stated in 2009 that individuals should either have a documented three months of RLE or undergo psychotherapy for a period of time specified by their mental health provider, usually a minimum of three months. Transgender and gender nonconforming activists, such as Kate Bornstein, have asserted that RLE is psychologically harmful and is a form of, quote, gatekeeping, effectively barring individuals from transitioning for as long as possible, if not permanently. I myself was actually only identifying as transgender for about a month before I started my hormone replacement therapy, and I'm honestly glad that I didn't have to have this kind of sort of waiting period where I had to live as the gender that I identified with, especially because at that time it was hard. It's just hard to, especially before you start HRT or in the early phases of it, simply because people just do not perceive you as the gender that you identify as. And a lot of you know it is very hard to pass, um, some people more than others, but for me it was pretty hard to pass, especially when my voice was higher. So I'm glad that I didn't have to go through this period of real life experience. Accessibility. Some transgender people choose to self-administer hormone replacement medications, often because doctors have too little experience in this area or because no doctor is available. Others self-administer because their doctor will not prescribe hormones without a letter from a psychotherapist stating that the patient meets the diagnostic criteria and is making an informed decision to transition. 
Many therapists require at least three months of continuous psychotherapy and or real life experience before they will write such a letter. Because many individuals must pay for evaluation and care out of pocket, costs can be prohibitive. Access to medication can be poor, even where healthcare is provided free. In a patient survey conducted by the United Kingdom's National Health Service in 2008, 5% of respondents acknowledged resorting to self-medication, and 46% were dissatisfied with the amount of time it took to receive hormone therapy. The report concluded in part, quote, the NHS must provide a service that is easy to access so that vulnerable patients do not feel forced to turn to DIY remedies, such as buying drugs online with all the risks that entails. Patients must be able to access professional help and advice so that they can make informed decisions about their care, whether they wish to take the NHS or private route without putting their health and indeed their lives in danger." Self-administration of hormone replacement medications may have untoward health effects and risk. To wrap this episode up, I just want to say that I don't think it's safe for anyone to self-administer hormones. no matter how desperate you may feel about it, it's just safer to go to a doctor. They know what they're doing. They can test your levels and make sure that you are healthy and doing it in the healthiest way possible. There are a lot of prerequisites to starting hormone replacement therapy, and I know that it seems like you have to jump through hoops sometimes, but trust me, this is the best way to do it. Um, the same thing goes for any surgeries that you might have to have. They're going to have Most of the time, you're going to have a lot of prerequisites, especially if you're looking to get insurance to cover it. But I understand where they're coming from, where they just want to make sure that they're doing this the safest way that they can and that you know uh, basically what you're getting into, all the risks that are involved, all the side effects that could happen, and they just want what's best for you most of the time. So that is going to conclude this first episode on hormone replacement therapy for transgender individuals. I know the first one was a short one, but like I said, I don't want to drag this out into a long episode. I just want to break it up to kind of keep it condensed and make it a little bit easier for you to digest. I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you, especially if you're a cisgender, you've never even heard of this stuff before, but I think that it is definitely good to have this kind of knowledge even if you don't know anyone that's transgender in your own life, I think that it's it's valuable to understand what transgender people are going through, the steps that they're taking. Again, I'm gonna say that not all transgender people choose to transition, but transitioning is a big part of getting rid of or alleviating a lot of that dysphoria that they're feeling about themselves and their body. And hormone replacement therapy is sometimes the only step that people will take in their transition and if it's not the only step it is the first step that they will take in their transition almost all the time there are a few cases where people will get surgery first and then start hormones but 99 percent of the time people are going to start hormone replacement therapy first and that's going to alleviate a lot of their symptoms if not all of them of dysphoria so hormone replacement therapy uh, can be done safely with the care of a doctor and if you have any questions about that it's really easy to just google and look up doctors that are knowledgeable about this stuff in your local area and have treated transgender patients before i was lucky enough to still be going to school at uab here in birmingham whenever i started transitioning so i was able to go to student health care and start my 
HRT with them. And I was also able to go to the counseling services at UAB and see a mental health provider and have my assessment with her. So they really made the process streamlined and easy. And it was so affirming to talk to someone about wanting to transition and about discovering what this gender dysphoria was because I didn't know what it was. So that's going to wrap it up. I'm going to stop rambling now. I hope you guys stay tuned for the next two episodes that are going to be about FTM, female to male hormone replacement therapy, and I will see you guys in the next one.